welcome back to Horror Palooza. This is episode number two, and we, this is the continuation of my 31 for 31 horror movie marathon for this month of October. I am Sir Ian Dangerous, also known as Uncle Frank, and so far I have reviewed the first seven movies of my sinister subsequence, and today I have the next seven for you. But before we get into the show, I'd like to thank my musical contributors, the Tiki Creeps and 414 Beg. You can find them both on iTunes, and the Tiki Creeps are at tikicreeps.com. 414 Beg is also on Instagram. You can find him over there. Of course, if you haven't yet, please subscribe to this show. Subscribe to Horror Palooza on your podcast app of choice. I assume if you found us, you've at least downloaded this episode. But go ahead and download the rest. Check it out. We have a, we're going to get a whole bunch of episodes up here for you guys. And if you subscribe, it will automatically download it to your smartphone and or tablet. Uh, so hit that subscribe button. Leave a review and or a rating if you want. I love hearing feedback. And share us with your friends so we can get the word out on this show. We are on the Orbital Jigsaw Network at orbitaljigsaw.com. So you can find all the different apps that we are on there, uh, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, etc. And you can find me on Twitter at Sir Ian Dangerous or at Skinless Wonder. Hit me up over there. Let me know what you think about the show and uh, give me some feedback. Give me some suggestions, etc., etc. So if you are just joining me for the first time, I do have a list of rules for this marathon that I am on. And I'll just give you a quick reminder. Uh, if you're following along at home, Uh, I have four of my eight needed decades so far. I've got to watch at least one movie from every decade from before the 40s and on. Uh, So far, I've watched one from the 50s, 70s, 90s, and the 2010s. And I've got one of my three required non-English languages out of the way. That would be Korean with the wailing. So I've got a bit more to go, and I've got a bunch more movies to go. But right now, let's get right into it and start with number eight. On my eighth day, I went ahead and got my Japanese language out of the way and watched Horrors of Malformed Men from 1969. I found this on iTunes. You can uh, rent it over there for a buck, so it's actually worth a buck if you like really, really, really weird movies. There's this cliche that Japanese films are weird or they can be weird, and this movie does not in any way disprove that cliche. (laughs) This movie is absolutely bizarre. It's all over the place, actually. It can't really, it can't really, I can't figure out what it is. If it's a thriller, if it's a mystery, uh, a psychedelic orgy, (laughs) or a horror movie, or just a meditation on the inhumanity of humans to their other humans, et cetera, et cetera. It's, uh, I was thinking this entire movie, it was just sitting there thinking, oh God, my eyes, what am I watching? Uh, it starts off with a guy in an insane asylum and he escapes, uh, remarkably easy he escapes, and starts impersonating a nobleman who recently died who looks exactly like him. And then, uh, plot points, plot points, he ends up going to this island that I can only describe as basically Jodorowsky's Island of Dr. Moreau. And if you know what I mean there, then that'll probably give you a pretty good impression of what you're in for here. Uh, the the cult leader on the island, the guy that who's, who's leading all this madness, this psychedelic, uh, naked insanity, 
uh, is like what would happen if Jesus, Shinsuke Nakamura, and the creature from the Black Lagoon all dropped acid and had a developmentally disabled child. Uh, it, I, <laughs> I can't describe this movie to do it justice. It is absolutely bizarre. Uh, it's not always horror, but the parts that are horror are absolutely mind-blowingly messed up. And the final shot of this movie may be one of the greatest worst endings in movie history. I, I need somebody out there else to see this ending because it's so amazing, but so awful at the same time. Uh, so yes, horrors of malformed men. Wow. Go check it out if you like really, really weird, messed up movies uh, with lots of people acting like animals and nudity and so forth. That was a, a trip for sure. Uh, next up, on day number nine, I watched The Howling. The Howling 3, I'm sad to say. Not not The Howling 1, which is actually, you know, a pretty good movie directed by Joe Dante. No, no, no. I went and watched The Howling 3. I got a, a, a craving for a werewolf movie and I've never seen the howling three. I've seen two. I've seen four and I think five maybe and six. I've seen a bunch of howlings, but I'd never seen this one. And one of the reasons I hadn't seen it was because the tagline for it is howling three, the marsupials. And I thought that was just the dumbest thing I'd ever heard. Like werewolves, marsupials. How does that work? Well, the director of the second howling is a French Australian and so he thought for the third howling, why don't I take it to Australia and see if I can make the werewolves marsupials? Yeah. Uh, well, let me just put it this way. It's pretty incompetently directed right from the first shot. And it just kind of goes downhill from there. Uh, it's basically Australian, were Australian werewolves that are related to the Tasmanian wolf. Uh, they're fighting for their freedom, I guess. I... I don't know, the, the plot of this movie is all over the place. The, there's the main girl who's a werewolf who escapes from her weird tribal werewolf family and goes to the big city and ends up in the movies? <laughs> she has this weird pouch because marsupial, and she's got a, a happy trail that's more like a happy interstate, but, you know, uh, apparently her boyfriend, her new city boyfriend, doesn't care too much because they end up hooking up and have a werewolf baby. Pretty quickly, apparently werewolves gestate, uh, the marsupial ones gestate really quick, and there is a werewolf baby birthing scene that has to be one of the most bizarre things and uncomfortable things I've ever seen, and it must have been absolutely bonkers to shoot. I can't imagine how they shot this scene. It is, uh, to me, it was stomach churning, <laughs> but uh, also you can't really tear your eyes away like a car crash, but that's pretty much the entire movie. It's a car crash. I don't know why they... I don't know why they occasionally reference the existence of the camera. I don't know why the older male main character looks like a poor man's excuse for for John Cleese. Uh, I don't know why the werewolves have back stripes like Tasmanian wolves trying to make that connection and the, these weird long jaws like the Tasmanian wolf that makes them look like satanic bunnies. It's it's uh, it's crazy. Um, there is some satire in this movie that they're attempting that is above their pay grade. It's They were at one point making fun of the Rob Bottin special effects, the, the practical effects from Howling 1, 
where they're making fun of the overuse of face bladders and how the the rubber snout stretches and the fingernails through the fingers and they just keep going and keep going. Uh, so they make fun of that early on, but then their own practical effects are absolutely terrible. They don't have a transformation scene any better. And and then their final werewolves, like I said, are just they're terrible. Uh, people in bunny suits, essentially. And they even tried to do a uh, American Werewolf in London and have a, a, a version of Bad Moon Rising playing at one point. And they, there's a, a poster for The Beast Within, which is another movie that the director uh, made. But it, it's, yeah, the satire in this movie just plays like a, a bad, drunk stand-up comedian making fun of or, or, or doing an impression of like George Carlin or Chris Rock. You know what I mean? Like, yes, do George Carlin and Chris Rock have, have, have tropes? Yes, they have tropes. Are you anywhere near in the league to be able to criticize them? And no. Then the, you know, this is one of those situations where the fool can point out that the emperor is not wearing any clothes, but at the end of the day, the fool remains a fool and the emperor remains an emperor. This is just awful. It's there's not much redeeming in this movie and by the end it is absolutely painful and hard to watch. I, I do not recommend Howling 3. You can get it on Amazon Prime uh, if you really want to suffer but I do not recommend this movie. It was tough for me to get through. Uh, moving on, on day 10, I had a nice comeback to some good movies. I, I watched Piewacket, P-Y-E-W-A-C-K-E-T, Piewacket. Uh, it's on Hulu, so a lot of you, I believe, will have Hulu, so you can check it out there. And it's a little bit under the radar. It's one of those movies on Hulu that is under the radar, and you may not have noticed it's on there. But it is well worth a look. Uh, this is probably the first movie I've watched this year that I thought was genuinely scary. That really did have some scares to it. Uh, first of all, it also has Lori Holden, who I'm a big fan of. You may remember her from uh, the first season of Walking Dead and from Silent Hill. Well, she's fantastic here. Again, she's playing the mom. Uh, and this movie is basically, the, the concept is, what if you cast a dark magic spell in a fit of teenage anger, and it worked? It's a, a, like a hot topic high school girl, and she's got legit gripes with her mom, uh, who's uprooting her and trying to you know figure her stuff out, because her dad died. And uh, she's into all this spooky stuff, and it's what happens when a spooky kid goes wrong. She gets mad at her mom and does something she maybe shouldn't have done, and it's it ends up not good. Uh, there is a really, really nice quietness about this movie. It reminds me a lot of... I don't believe it's, it was put out by A24, but it reminds me a lot of the movies that production company puts out, where it, it takes its time, it builds at its own speed, uh, ramps up the chills, but uh, you know by the time it gets there, you're so on edge that it really gets to you. Um, there's this subtle feeling of dread. It's it's unsettling, and it makes things feel slightly off. Even when you're in the middle of things that are totally normal, you just feel like something's just off. And there's also a really nice, real teenager feel to the characters. Like you really do feel like, yeah, these are this is how kids would be. They're you know they had their little spooky. They're in their goth phase or whatever, but it doesn't feel like it's it's trite or put on. Uh, I like the fact that they did act like kids. You know, when she does this ritual that uh, ends up backfiring on her, uh, you know, she. I love the fact that she freaks herself out a little bit with it. I love the fact, you know, it felt very natural. A lot of this movie felt very natural, and 
The actress who plays the main girl, her name is Nicole Munoz, she has this incredibly wonderful, subtly expressive face. She has this incredible uh, acting, very, very subtle acting, and the way that she did some reactions to things that she sees in this. Even things as simple as a, as a, as a, a card in a store uh, were just incredibly subtle and real, and I loved it. I thought she was fantastic, and she and, and, and Lori Holden really do sell this movie. The one nitpick I had is, yes, there's a critter in this movie, uh, which, which, you know, she summons. And the very first shot we see of it is too much, I thought. I thought they gave away too much with it. They could have stuck, they, they could have cut that first shot and just done every other shot that they did in this. And it would have been much more effective than giving away the whole thing right out the top. Uh, and it would have been creepier. I thought so it, it, that was that was too bad there the ending also falls apart a little bit uh, some dumb character decisions uh, and whatnot but overall a really genuinely good spooky scary movie uh, if you want to be creeped out if you if you get creeped out by this sort of thing this will mess you up they did a great job with some of the this tension building and the scares in this one so yes definitely recommend Pie Whack It that was a 2016 movie, and you can find it on Hulu. Next up, on day 11, I had The Raven. This is one of Roger Corman's Edgar Allan Poe cycle that he made with Vincent Price. As you know, every Halloween season, at least at some point, it's time for... It's Vincent Price, motherfucker. So yeah, this movie is from 1963, and... Uh, it's also got a huge cast, not just Vincent Price. It's got Peter Lorre. It's one of Peter Lorre's last movies. He's, he's on his last legs here. We got Boris Karloff, um, Jack Nicholson, who I didn't realize was in it until he made a Jack Nicholson face, and because he, he's so young. Uh, but yeah, what a cast! And uh, like a lot of the Corman Price uh, Poe films, it's got incredible atmosphere. It's very colorful, but then alternates that with some dark and foreboding stuff. Uh, it's very sumptuously decorated, which is incredible considering you know that Corman is notorious for uh, being cheap with his sets, but he you know reuses a lot of stuff. But it's just really well decorated, and it's just so campy. I had no idea going into this that this was a comedy. I, I tried to go into it completely blind, and uh, you know I should have known. I should have known it was a comedy. I should have picked up on it from the fact that right off the bat we had some playful music, and Vincent Price was mugging particularly hard, and he did this, like a little bit of slapstick with this telescope that was in his his, uh, his room there. And I, you know I should have known, but then all of a sudden it goes. It has a, a moment where it went so hard into comedy about five to seven minutes in that I I laughed out loud and had to pause the movie because I was laughing so hard at how much they tricked me into thinking this was actually going to be a somber Edgar Allan Poe movie. No, this movie is freaking adorable. It's adorable. Is it, is it horror? Yes, there's witchcraft, black magic, there's skeletons, there's creaky old castles, there's... I mean, these actors, Karloff, Peter Lorre, Vincent Price, absolutely, this is horror. But this is also really, really funny stuff. I, I laughed a lot in this movie. Uh, lots of mugging, lots of overacting, lots of having fun. You can tell everyone's having so much fun. Vincent Price acting opposite a real raven 
while this while the Raven is is doing something and Vincent Price reacting alone is worth the price of admission. I was grinning the whole time in this movie, and it's rated G, uh, so it is wholesome horror fun for the whole family. Uh, you know, there's some there's some the corpses and and skeletons, but nothing's re- you know it's Disney levels of spooky really. Uh, and frankly, kids raised on Harry Potter are gonna absolutely shit on the magic effects in this movie. And there's a magic battle at the end that you know they're just gonna they're not gonna be able to take seriously. But if you can if you can have fun with it, if you can sit back and relax and enjoy, it is a wonderfully campy throwback. It's a nice light treat for the season. It does feel very seasonally appropriate. It's a ton of fun. I love this movie. So check that out. You can find it on Amazon Prime, uh, and I very much recommend it. Uh, next up on day twelve, I had the brain that wouldn't die, and this is a classic right here from 1962. Although it was made in 1959, so it feels a little more 50s ish than it does 60s ish. Um, it's if you don't know about it, it's basically a mad scientist reanimates his fiance's head after an auto accident and hilarity ensues oh no I mean tragedy and horror ensues that's right Uh, so basically she's a a head on a platter Uh, famously she was nicknamed Jan in the pan on Mystery Science Theater Uh, so that's how I will refer to her uh, as Jan in the pan or the BT Dub D I don't know BT Dub D yeah there you go Uh, so it's you know I don't know how she speaks she has no body but she speaks pretty well and uh, she's not happy about being uh, revived, about she should be dead. She's got the, the Bride of Frankenstein thing going on. Uh, she belongs dead. But uh, so the, the rest of the movie is this mad scientist going out and looking for a good body to transplant her onto. Uh, unfortunately, he's a mad scientist, which means he's insane. Uh, and things go wrong from there. So this is really based a lot on the Frankensteinian kind of tropes. You have the mad scientist, you've got the the Igor uh, analog, you've got the monster, he's hiding in the closet, he's pieced together from body parts, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I don't, look, I don't know how mad scientist fell out as a genre. You know, they, everything goes through, uh, through waves of like slashers are, are in, zombie movies are in. And I can't really think of any major modern mad scientist films except for maybe human centipede that's about it i mean i think aside from that mad scientist has kind of died out as a genre and i don't know why there's there's a lot to be picked at here i think maybe maybe rick and morty would count i don't know uh you could maybe do something with uh with that but at any rate uh with this movie the the script is uh, uh the script alone is worth watching this for. The the script and the deadpan delivery just during the opening surgery scene is just classic mad scientist lines that everyone's been copying on for years. Uh, and there's sometimes it's just so terrible and so overwrought and strained and unwieldy, this script. I mean, it's like it's sometimes it's like shitty Shakespeare or uh, poorly translated Castlevania, you know, like if you've ever played the Castlevania games, like what is a man, a miserable pile of secrets it's like that, only writ large, and they just go right into it, uh, the score is over dramatic, but and there's, you know, but good in parts, this movie is very, very full of itself uh, and as a result, some parts are just unintentionally hilarious 
Uh, as I said, he goes out to try and find a, a body for his now headless fiance. But of course, you know, he doesn't just go out and grab anybody because he's no, he's on a time frame, but he doesn't just grab anybody. He goes out. The first thing he does is go to a burlesque club because, of course, you do. He's just a man. He wants his Frank and fiance to be hot. Damn it. Uh, he creeps on chicks on the street, just rolling behind him, freaking him out in his car. Uh, you know, he he, he goes like swim, strippers, swimsuit uh, models, art models. Those are the ones he goes for. That's just funny. Uh, and th- there's, there's no one who's likable in this movie. You know, Jan in the pan is she's just vicious. Uh, Kurt, the, the Igor substitute, is just sad. He's kind of pitiable. The main guy is, as I said, a creepy asshole. So there's really no one to relate to, but you don't you don't need anyone to relate to in this. It's just it's it's just kind of a, uh, a dark movie in that sense. And there is stuff in this that's genuinely horrific and chilling and and well acted. Virginia Leith plays Jan in the Pan, and it's a pity she quit acting the year after this movie uh, because she got married. Uh, although I guess she did divorce back in the 70s in the 70s as well and come back but she never really recovered from this but she's really good uh she you know when you have her character juxtaposed with how sleazy and callous he is uh you know there's this uh, the feeling of her being stuck in this pan unable to do anything but move her eyes and talk is genuinely creepy and there's something about her 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 story that does get under your skin and creeps you out a lot, you know, especially when looking at what the main guy is doing. So, yeah, it's there's some dated stuff here, like the stripper scene and, and the music they play for that. But all the stuff in the lab, I think, is really great. It's worth a watch, uh, especially because of its place in history. It is a very well-known movie and pretty iconic. But, uh, yeah, The Brain That Wouldn't Die, you can get it on Amazon. Uh, I don't know if it's on Prime. You might have to actually... It might be on show. No, I think it's on Amazon Prime. So yeah, you should be able to get that and check that out if you have Amazon Prime. I do recommend it. Uh, day 13, I went to the 80s and I watched one that uh, you may or may not know. It's called The Gate. It is on Shudder if you have the Shudder streaming service. Uh, it is a 80s fantasy kids movie, horror movie, uh, and uh, stars Stephen Dorff. In his first movie, oh, little Stephen Dorff, little fat face Stephen Dorff, he's adorable. Uh, it is typical '80s fantasy logic. It's a couple kids dig up a magic rock in their backyard under a hole in a, in a hole under a tree that was taken out by a bunch of construction guys, and this rock cracks open and it makes the exact words that needed to be said to open a portal to hell, and it makes it on a magnetic drawing board, and they say it, and oh, here comes the portal to hell and all the things that come with it. It's a it's typical 80s magical suburbia. I don't know if they were attempting to mystify the mundane in those days where, you know, everyone was moving to suburbia and they were still trying to find some sort of magic uh, in that. And, you know, like, well, you know, if you're digging in your backyard, you may find a large geode in a portal to hell and then things are going to get really exciting for you. But, you know, that's not how real life works. So this is a, escapism, maybe. But, uh, yeah, so it's Stephen Dorff and uh, his... His friend, the twelve-year-old heavy metal Mitch McConnell, are have to put up with all of these. It's the, it's the two of them. It's five kids total against the stop-motion armies of hell. That's what this movie is. There are no parents. They're nearly non-existent. The parents leave the kids alone, a twelve and a fifteen-year-old alone, for three days. Can you imagine that happening? These oh, that doesn't happen anymore. Um, 
And you know what else doesn't happen? Hobby toys don't save the world anymore. Uh, had this kid been nose deep in an iPhone, instead of having a love for rockets, the world would have been over. And also, I remember the day when heavy metal albums held the answers to the satanic mysteries of, of demonology if they, you played them backwards. That's in this movie, too. There's a lot of great 80s throwbacks like that. Uh, you know, and I like the fact that the kids in this movie are faced with this craziness, all this madness, you know, little demons taking over their house and horrible things happening and daddy showing up and his face melting. And they're so nonchalant about a lot of it. Obviously, a lot of it freaks them out. But then, you know, there's one point they're down in the basement and the pics in the basement wall, the pictures, the family pictures in the basement wall have obviously been changed and the parents are dead while standing in the Norman Rockwell pose with their kids. I'm like, oh, what is everything okay? And the kids looks at this creepy picture and goes, eh, forget it. It's yeah, yeah, you know, it's just typical day, uh, day at the day at the park with hell uh, coming out of a, a gate in the backyard. So it is fun. It's very fun. It's very campy. It's very, very, very eighties, eighties uh, hair, eighties clothes. It just feels eighties, but it is a lot of fun it's a, a very very fun movie a kids adventure movie it would go great in like a trifecta with monster squad and um i don't know fright night or poltergeist or something like that where you have the the kind of magical suburbia tropes going on uh it, it it's a lot of fun i do recommend checking it out if you like that sort of thing and haven't checked it out yet so day 14 the seventh movie for this show today uh I watched Winchester, and this is a modern movie, 2018, uh, with Helen Mirren about the Winchester Mystery House. And I, I do live in California and was raised in the Bay Area where the Winchester Mystery House is. It is down in San Jose, so felt a little bit of a connection to this movie. Knew a lot about the history before I went into this movie. And to be honest, I think that might have biased me a little bit on this movie. I felt like knowing as much as I did about the Winchester Mystery House uh, hurt my appreciation of the movie because more of it came across as cheesy and explaining stuff that I already knew in very somber ways. Uh, And I think I would have liked it more if I was discovering all of these facts about the Winchester Mystery House as the movie went on. And I think to someone who knew nothing about the Winchester Mystery House, it might actually be more interesting and intriguing. Uh, it is a very modern style horror movie in the vein of like, you know, the James Wan style pop horror conjuring kind of thing. It shows too much too soon. We get ghost jumpies right off the right off the bat. Uh, it doesn't really let the ambiance work. You know, they, they only were able to shoot a little of this in the actual Winchester Mystery House. Uh, and they had to recreate a lot of it uh, as sets, but they did, you know, did it pretty faithfully. And this was co-produced with Hammer, so it's really, really uh, lots, lots of wonderful ambiance and very sumptuously decorated. Um, and it's, and as a result, they could have just let the ambiance work. They could have just sat back and let the creepiness of the house sell it for them, but they didn't. Instead, they went for the jump scares. They went for the ooky spooky stuff. And they didn't need to. Uh, stuff later in the movie, it, they, they handled better, but they, they definitely went for it, uh, I think, a little bit too soon on this. Uh, it does. This movie does work wonderfully as an advertisement for the house. Uh, the general history is very accurate. And, uh, you know, as I said, a lot of the layout and the ways that they uh, recreated the sets in the actual house is very accurate. So if you were to go to the house after seeing this movie, you'd be like, I remember this place. I remember this place. Uh, and that's very cool. It's, it is a very cool house and a, and a very unique uh, s- setup there. 
Uh, and also the acting in this movie is very good. Jason Clark and Helen Mirren. As I said, Helen Mirren is in this, and she is, of course, as you'd expect, wonderful. And both of them are working their asses off in this movie to make some of this stilted stuff work. But the best scenes in this movie are the two of them talking and butting heads. And, you know, that's that's the stuff I wish there was more of because a lot of the rest is very stuffy and predictable and it kind of falls flat. Uh, I thought a lot of it was very contrived and trite. And any other character besides Jason Clark and Helen Mirren are about as substantive as the ghosts in the house that, that are in this movie. You know, it's the main antagonist ghost... Uh, you know, it's a typical one of those ones where, oh, now there's a particularly powerful ghost is here and he's going to come get us. He's a joke. The way that they set him up, it doesn't, like, you can't understand why he's such a threat. And uh, at the risk of spoilers, small spoiler here, so skip forward about two minutes if you need to, uh, there is a plot point that involves the 1906 San Francisco earthquake. But the way that they handle it is so bad and and they, I don't even know why they had to include it because the the way that it's depicted in this movie seems so isolated at the house. We had no idea that this was a one of the biggest, most important moments in Bay Area history and one of the biggest uh, natural disasters in U.S. history. Uh, and it doesn't seem to warrant including that especially when you know the the nature of the main antagonist ghost doesn't seem like he would uh he would have that kind of power i guess is the best way to say it so it's it's a it's a needless fluffing uh at the end of this movie that it it didn't need it or if they if they were going to add such an unnecessary plot device they could have handled it better and that's maybe me nitpicking uh because of, of personal preference but you know, watch it yourself and tell me. Tell me what you think. It's a definitely a gorgeous watch. It's a good-looking movie, and there's lots of good things about it, but I think my biggest criticism of this movie is that it's mediocre. It's There's blandness where it could have been ex- exceptional, uh, and moments of greatness do shine through, but at the end of the day, it's just kind of a meh, and that's, uh, that's the biggest criticism I could give of it. So those are my seven movies uh, for this particular round for this episode number two. Obviously, I've got plenty more to go. I've got about uh, 16 movies to go, 17 movies to go. Math is bad, but I've got a lot of movies to go and more episodes to go. But luckily, that's not all we do on this show. We don't just talk about the seven movies that I'm watching for my marathon. We also do some top 10 lists on this as well. And not only top 10 lists, we also do some audience participation. So last week, I asked you all, if you're listening to this show and you've made it to this point, and if you have, thank you very much. Uh, I said, tell me, tweet me, at Sir Ian Dangerous or at Skinless Wonder, tweet me what movie moment scared you the most or gave you the willies the most, uh, freaked you out the most. And uh, this last week, I had a response from at the Nick Amato, uh, who you guys may know as the dulcet tones singing the theme song at the end of Zombievers, which is a movie you should go check out. It's on Netflix right now, and it's a ton of fun. Uh, The Nick Amato says, Gives me the willies? Well, sorry, wrong number. When Waldo tells Leona where he can be reached later that night, and she calls later that night and finds out where she's calling. Chills every time. Yeah, I have to agree with that. For those of you who haven't seen the movie, uh, I'll put it this way. He ain't at Toys R Us. Yeah. 
Uh, that's a good movie too. Sorry, wrong number. It's a, a very old school, but creepy as hell. So good call, Nick Amato. Uh, if you guys want to uh, pitch in as well, like I said, tweet me. Let me know what your most scary moment is, the moment that freaked you out personally. And uh, I will reveal my scariest moment at the end of this whole show. We're doing just a four-part series to start here. And at the end of the fourth episode, I will reveal the moment that scared me, that freaked me out, that gave me the willies the most in all of horror movie history. And I guarantee it's not what you expect. So moving on, we've got our top 10 lists for this week. And this week, we're actually doing two top 10 lists. And that's the top 10 underappreciated horror movies on Netflix and Hulu according to me. Obviously, a lot of people do these, but this is my take on them. And there is actually a lot of good horror on Netflix and Hulu right now, uh, despite conventional wisdom, what I'm hearing people say, like there's not a lot. There's actually quite a bit. You could get through uh, most of October just based on what they have alone. On Netflix, uh, I'm not going to mention the classics. I'm just going to try and do ones that are underappreciated. You know, they've got really good classics on Netflix, like The Shining and Hellraiser and Interview with the Vampire and and uh, seven, or as I like to call it, Sesevenen, uh, and uh, the Sixth Sense, Texas Chainsaw, The Beginning, which is, I think is a modern classic. Also, modern classics like Babadook, and It Follows, and Conjuring. Uh, and there are some other modern ones on there too that I think got f- kind of fell through the cracks a little bit. So here's my top 10 underappreciated horror movies on Netflix and Hulu. And uh, number one, I'll get this out of the way. The Witch is on there, and I think The Witch definitely could fall into the category like Babadook, It Follows, and The Conjuring as a modern classic, but I think that one of those is the least known and the least appreciated. So I had to put that on my top 10 because it is one of my favorite horror movies of the last 20 years, if not more. It's one of my my favorite horror movies of all time. It's incredibly well done from top to bottom between the period language and the cinematography and the acting is bananas. It sticks the landing at the end. Uh, Some incredible twists and turns you don't expect. It is, I will warn you, it is not a traditional scare you out of your pants movie, jump scare movie. It's just one of those ones that sticks with you for a long time. So don't watch it with your kid brother who wants to see gore and jump scares. It's not for that. It's for just people who like a well-made, creepy movie. Uh, Also on Netflix, I think is very slept on, the Ritual. The Ritual is one that I stumbled on earlier this year. I wish I had done it for my horror movie marathon because I would have loved to talk about it at length. It is another movie you should go into absolutely blind because you think it's just a Cabin in the Woods movie. It goes some places you are not ready for. It is fantastic, uh, very original in a lot of ways uh, that I can't discuss without spoiling it. So I won't, but check out the ritual for sure. Also check out train to Busan. This came out a couple of years ago. It's a Korean zombie movie. And I know maybe you're sick of zombie movies and this movie doesn't really do a ton. That's new. It just does it extremely, extremely well. It is a really very well-made zombie movie. A lot of emotional heart at its core. Uh, I was very, very pleased with this movie, even though there weren't really any new tropes to it. It was very well done. Uh, the Void is another one that I think overcomes its its weaknesses to become a really, really solid movie. Very Lovecraftian, like a, a mix of cosmic horror and The Thing. And I can't really give it higher praise than that. Very much worth checking out. Uh, stumbles a little bit at some times, but 
Uh, it is really a cool movie and some gnarly practical effects in it as well. Uh, an older one from, I believe, the 90s that is on there that is worth a look if you haven't seen it is Cube. And this is more of a slow burn horror movie. Uh, another one that I don't want to spoil because it, it it is one of those ones you go in and have no idea what's going on and you don't want to know anything really. Um, very much a character drama, but uh, but freaky, science fiction-y, and a lot, uh, well worth a watch. Uh, they made a second one called Cube Zero. That's not worth watching. Look for the original, that's Cube. Uh, another one that I watched a couple of years ago uh, was The Invitation. That's on Netflix right now as well. That is one that uh, is also good to not know anything about going in. It will lead you in a couple of different directions while you're watching it. It is a little bit long. They could have shaved about 15 minutes off of it, I think, and it would have been better. But it is genuinely a creepy movie, very disturbing, uh, and a fantastic ending to it as well. So definitely check out The Invitation. Oculus is one that I watched last year and was ready to hate because I thought it was going to be another typical modern horror film. It's actually way smarter than I was ready for it to be. Very, very well directed. Uh, and not only that, I, the director and the writer, and I believe he was also involved in the editing. And I understand why. There's no way someone could have communicated what he wanted to see and do in this movie in terms of the time changes and the period changes uh, without actually having full control himself or herself in this, or himself in this case. But this was a very, very well done movie. Really creepy. Definitely made me feel like I was losing my mind along with the rest of the characters, but never felt like so much that I wasn't understanding what was going on. Or if I wasn't understanding, I was supposed to not understand. I can't explain. Just go watch it. It's really good. Uh, another movie on Netflix that I think is very unsung is one called Clown. And I watched this a year or two ago. This movie is a ton of fun. It is just good, old-fashioned, creepy monster horror. Uh, body horror, too. And it, I, I enjoyed the hell out of this. It's creepy enough to be a good horror movie and, and scary, disturbing enough to get under your skin. But it's, it never doesn't feel fun. It never feels like a chore. Uh, I love Clown. I don't want to give away anything about the plot of it. Just go watch it. It's fantastic. If clowns are all kinds of in right now, everywhere, all the the horror uh, theme parks I'm going to, and all the media I see about Halloween this year, going into every store, everything's all clowns right now. So if you need to watch a clown movie, watch this. It's one of the best ones that I know of. Uh, next up, the see Devil's Candy. Devil's Candy would be my number. Uh, what am I on nine? And uh, this one is a, just a solid horror movie. It's, uh, again, nothing too new about it. And uh, it does, I will warn you, fall apart a little bit at the end. But it is really good. Some very solid stuff in this movie. Definitely worth a watch and very well made. And then finally, my number 10. And this is one that I think is really slept on. It's called Raw. And it is a French movie that is just... I mean, if you watch as many horror movies as I do you know that the French do not mess around. And this is another example of that. Uh, I don't want to give too much away other than to say that it's about a, a young vegetarian girl who goes to veterinarian school and suddenly desires to eat raw meat. And this movie is one that I had to think about for a long time afterwards, and it's one that I had to 
contemplate and, and watch again, and I got so much more out of it the second time after thinking about it a lot. There's a lot going on here. There's a lot of subtext and meaning, and it's very well thought out and really, really brutal and disturbing and messed up and killer ending, way slept on, highly, highly, highly recommend Raw. Uh, I'm going to throw an honorable mention to Dark Song, which uh, is on Netflix, I believe, still as well. That's a really cool, very subtle one. It's uh, it's a very light movie in the sense that I don't think that you're going to think about it for too much afterwards. I did just because it's a really good depiction of how difficult it is to actually summon something. Uh, and that's the strength of this movie is the, uh, the, the, the main plot is them trying to summon something and just how hard it is is really cool. Uh, so that's, that's worth a watch if you're into that sort of thing. Uh, moving over to Hulu... The top 10 unsung movies on Hulu. Uh, obviously, you have the classics on Hulu that you can check out, uh, like Pumpkinhead, Child's Play, Jacob's Ladder, Texas Chainsaw 2. They've got Hellraiser 1 and 2 over on Hulu. 28 Weeks Later, which I like better than 28 Days Later. Don't at me. Fight me. Come on. That is true. Uh, the Fly is on there with Jeff Goldblum, one of the best body horror movies of all time. Burnt Offerings, which uh, I it's a classic that is slept on, I think. I think that's one that's... Oliver Reed, though. I mean, what what more need be said? And, of course, The Others. If you haven't watched The Others, that is a classic. You have to watch that. But the ones I think are slept on on Hulu, uh, Killer Clowns from Outer Space, That's a it's a cult movie for a reason. That movie should not be slept on. Everyone should watch Killer Clowns from Outer Space. It's absolutely goony insanity. It's madness. If you haven't seen it, you have to see it. It's nuts. Uh, VHS... One of the better found footage movies. I hate found found footage movies as a general rule. You probably won't see a whole lot of them on my marathon this year, but VHS is one that I watched. It has its ups and downs, but man, it's got some that are fantastic. I think the opening one is the best one. Uh, Really good found footage movie. There's Grabbers on Hulu. That one fell through the cracks for a lot of people. That's a really fun alien invasion movie. Uh, They invade a small town in Ireland and... uh, they, the locals find out that the best way to repel them is to get drunk. Apparently, the aliens don't like the smell or taste of booze. So, as you can imagine, hilarity ensues there. Uh, Rare Exports, A Christmas Tale. If you can't fit this one in before Halloween, you got till Christmas to watch this one. This one is an absolutely bananas, a Scandinavian movie. Scandinavian Finnish? I'm not sure. I have to check that. I'll check on that. But it is... Uh, from that part of the world and it's basically their view of what Santa Claus could actually really be and it's messed up it's fantastic really recommend that one Uh, (laughs) very dark Christmas movie but good for any time if you like horror The ABCs of Death is another one that I think gets slept on a lot that movie is Gonzo it's uh, uh, 26 short films each one corresponding to a letter of the alphabet and uh, it ranges from dead serious and really messed up to hilarious and completely gonzo. And one of them might be the most disturbing short film I've ever seen. They've got they've got a uh, legendary level messed up short film among all of these. And if you watch it, see if you can figure out which one it is. It shouldn't be hard. Uh, speaking of messed up, they've also got Baskin on uh, on Hulu. One of I think the only Turkish horror movies I've ever heard of but definitely seen and uh, well Turkey came out the door hard with this one this is one of the most messed up movies I've ever seen and I watched it last year for my marathon 
and had a hard time. It is a, it is a disturbing, disturbing movie, but well worth a watch if you like the uh, the harder core stuff. Uh, and it's also kind of got a very cool uh, cyclical nature to the story, so worth a, worth a watch if you can handle the harder stuff. Uh, I saw The Devil, speaking of the harder edge stuff. That's a Korean revenge film that is just relentless. The bad guy is played by the main character from Old Boy, uh, if that gives you a, a hook. But definitely worth a watch if you like the, the harder edged Korean revenge films. It kind of creates a world of its own of, of serial killers and, and cops that are after them. It's uh, kind of a cool little sideways fantasy world just to the left of reality. It's a little bit more brutal than our own. Uh, recommend if you haven't seen it. Uh, speaking of found footage movies, worth a watch, Wreck, which is uh, another really good one. Uh, don't watch the remake. Watch the original, the Spanish movie, uh, Wreck, about a zombie outbreak in an apartment complex in Spain. Uh, fantastic watch. And uh, Let the Right One In, I think the, that got slept on. Don't watch the remake again. The American remake is okay. The original is way better. Uh, it's uh, Let the Right One In is the one to check out. Not Let Me In, but Let the Right One In. Uh, fantastic vampire movie. And then finally, Splinter, which is one of the rare uh, late 90s, early 2000s movie, movies that really nails it. And this one got slept on so hard when it came out, and I think it's still slept on, on today. It's just a fantastic, like, The Thing, body horror kind of movie uh, that is really well worth a watch. They get very creative with it, and I, I really enjoyed it a lot. So if you get a chance, check out those 10 movies on Hulu and those 10 movies on Netflix. Uh, a couple of honorable mentions on Hulu, The Dark Half, uh, I think is, I, I always liked The Dark Half, I thought it was a solid interpretation of the Stephen King story. Stir of Echoes is a classic, although I think it's a, it came out the same time as Sixth Sense, and it still is kind of in its shadow in my mind. And then uh, The Host, which is a Korean monster movie, is also pretty cool, but I, I, those just didn't make the list, they barely didn't make the list. Uh, and then two classics that I think uh, are not good at all, they have not aged well. Children of the Corn and Hills Have Eyes, I think you can do well by avoiding or watching the remakes of, in my opinion. Come at me on Twitter if you disagree. Uh, so that is week two of Horror Palooza. Thank you so much for joining us, and please come back next week to see what I watch next. So far, I have uh, two of my three languages covered, and I added the 60s and 80s to my list of decades watched. I still need two more decades, the 40s and earlier, and the 2000s, and I've got one more language to watch to meet my minimum. So hit me up at Sir Ian Dangerous or at Skinless Wonder on Twitter and let me know what movie moment scared you the most. And don't forget to subscribe and share, and I will see you freaks in a week right here on Horror.